This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. Got a good friend with me today and, man, a guy that's been all over the place and got some exciting things going on, Chris Kiefer. Probably, uh, man. I don't know what you're best known for. Is it is it drop? What what if? What do what do you Problem. get all the time? Like when people come up to you, they say, "Hey, you're the guy from what is it?" It's definitely dropped. Yeah. I would say everybody everybody comes up and goes, "Are you one of those brothers from Dropped?" And the answer is yes, that's me. So I'm I'm the brother. <laughs> yes, I'm the brother. I'm the older one. Yes. <laughs> so that's for me. everybody listening, Chris and I have actually known each other for man a long time now and been uh, business partners on a on a few things along the way. So I know Chris and Chris and his family really well. So I'm looking forward to this one. But one of the questions I've, I've never asked you is how did you get into hunting? Oh man. Yeah. I think, yeah, to, to, to verify, obviously you and I've been knowing know each other for a long time. We've done a lot of really cool stuff together uh, over the years and business and everything. It's amazing to see what you've been up to over the last couple of months and just awesome stuff. But as far as uh, getting into hunting, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and it's basically a religion there. Um, and so, you know, I, I played a lot of hockey as a younger kid, and 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 I never really got a, a ton of opportunity to do it. But my grandfather and father instilled that into us. Like my first hunt I can ever remember is beagles, rabbit hunting on the back of an old Jeep oh, Wagoneer, yeah. like having lunch, and 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 I just remember like that camaraderie and seeing my dad and grandfather and everyone hanging out. And I was like, this is something I've, I'm just going to fall in love with immediately. And I did. So, and I imagine, so you're, you're, when everybody thinks brothers too, you're older, right? You're the, yep. you're the older sibling of, of Casey. So I assume you guys hunted together when you were younger. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh so there's three of us uh, and Cody is the youngest brother, but yeah, Casey and I, we're four years apart. And so it was like, when I was able to hunt, he was that youngster sitting on the back of the truck, kind of, kind of hoping he and wishing he could hunt. And then he started to come along with me and the two of us would hunt together, but he wasn't at a legal age yet in Pennsylvania. So it was like, he was always kind of hanging out. And, and, and then eventually when he became of age in, in Pennsylvania to hunt, the two of us, like it was nonstop on the weekends, BB guns, you know, squirrel hunting, whatever we could do. We spent that much time in the woods together uh, at an early age. Just out causing trouble. Just what, causing so much trouble. Yeah, the Tweeties were in trouble. What was the age <laughs> in Pennsylvania then? Was it 12? Uh, yeah, at the time yeah. it was 12. Yeah, yeah. And, and for everybody listening, Cody, um, you always think of Chris and Casey as the beards. Um Cody's the guy with the clean face. That guy couldn't grow a beard. I think he's he's been trying to grow a beard ever since he's been born. Can't get anything to go. He's six foot two, blonde. Uh, based, I'm not sure. We're still asking mom. Still wondering yeah. where he where he popped in. Yeah, from. That's awesome. yeah, yeah. We're still asking mom. So you've been. Uh, I mean, you. What's your favorite type of hunting then? I mean, you've been fortunate to hunt all over the place. What's your What's your favorite? Was it something when you grew up with deer hunting? What is it? 
Yeah, you know, I think it, it's it's a. I think it, there's a little bit of a loaded question. You, you're the same way. You love to hunt yep. in general, just the, the everything. I think there, it comes down to two things for me. There's uh, when I talk about like big, big game, um, moose hunting in Alaska and the Yukon and all those places is just like there's something about it. There's something about getting them to seven feet, the mm-hmm. tactics, and just learning. Uh, you know that that adrenaline rush of a big moose, but. I will say this whitetail hunting on our farms uh, and like targeting in specific deer, letting them grow the management that goes behind it, watching them get to of age. There's something about that, that like, it just can't be matched November 15th in the woods, you know, with the leaves that to me is like number one all the way across the board. Yep. Yep. No doubt about that. So what's one of your, I'm going to break this up because I got a couple of favorite questions to ask you, but when you were growing up, what was your favorite hunting memory that you can remember? Uh, So pheasant and rabbit, it was a lot of small game. Um, My, my grandfather was a beagle breeder. And so, uh, and then pointers. And so I, like, I remember growing up with like 10 or 15 different beagles. uh, And then we had pointers and, you know, and so it was a lot of that type of hunting where we would, our weekends were spent, um, one of my um, uh, kind of distant uncles owned an old coal mine in Pennsylvania, and it was a uh, we we basically got to go there and hunt it, uh, and that's what we did. Is we had this ton of land, and so we'd go up to that old coal mine up in PA and just run the dogs. And so to me, that was it because uh, you know I got to get out. I was out there with my grandfather, my father, and like my brother at the time, and just getting into the into the whole situation about it I, I loved growing up and i wasn't introduced to the deer hunting side until i was able to do my first deer camp and then i saw what that was about as oh, an yeah. adult oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> and i was like whoa this is a different kind of hunting because i can remember sitting there like you know watching them the old mad dog 2020 and and uh, Genesee pale ales oh, and yeah. at the time. I mean, this is old, right? I'm dating yeah. myself, but I could, uh, that was just such a cool thing to see all these guys. And then the dwarf seemed to never stop. It was like camp to camp to camp to camp. And um, it was just like, at that point I was like, whatever this is, I love, and I want to be a part of it forever. I'll never let it go. So, so walk us through. Um, and first of all, I guess, you know, before I got to talk non non hunting stuff here, you guys are a big hockey family, right? Yeah, big hockey family. I mean, played that, and everybody. I mean, when I say, I mean, all the brothers played played hockey. So I imagine you did that all the way through through high school and so forth, right? Yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, we played all. All three of us played through the collegiate level. Uh, Cody uh, was the best and has uh, gone on to win several NCAA rings, of which he's not scared to wear at Thanksgiving just because. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's he's good to he's good to rub that in. Uh, but yeah, we all played at a very high level. And then, you know, as we all kind of separated and then came back, you know, in life into what we're doing now with the businesses and stuff we've been involved with you in and all the other things, um, we've kind of slowed down here. And in, in the last two years, we started coaching a high school team together. Uh, and it's just been so fun to get back into it. Our team won the state championship last year. So Casey and I finally got a ring. There you go. Now Cody has, now Cody has another ring. So uh, you know, he's, he's not, I, I asked him one day, I'm like, what, uh, are you putting it on this finger? He's like, well, I got, I already have one for that finger. So I'm going to, you know, and I'm like, that's nice. He's so, got the Tom Brady approach. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been fun. And he's the head coach in case and they're the assistant coach because of timing and stuff. And, and Cody's just so smart at it. He's just one of the better, better minds of the game I've ever seen. So it's, uh, it's just awesome to do it with them. You know, we spend our weekends now in the off season traveling around with a hockey team and doing the other sport that we love. So yep. it's, it's pretty cool. No, oh, that's, that's awesome. So when you were, how did you do the transition, um, high school then, I mean, playing collegiate hockey, how did you get, what was, what was your first introduction into the hunting industry after college or through college? Like how did, how did you transition? That's one of the, the biggest questions I get for on the podcast and everything I do is like, how do I get into the hunting industry? And I always like, well, let's, let's break apart how people have done it in the past. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think everybody looks at maybe a current day, like they look at maybe where I'm at today and they go like, well, how, you know, I want to do that. Well, it's been 25 years being in the industry to get to, you know, to kind of where we're at and what we're doing today. But uh, I had a kind of an interesting breakthrough. I actually, I realized there's zero Stanley Cups in my future and I could barely get out of bed in the morning and was like, okay, like I'm done with hockey. And 
I want to go back to that passion playing it. I never really got a ton of time. There was a period of about nine or 10 years where you're so dedicated to the sport that in the fall you're traveling and you didn't really get a chance to do it. Um, and so I, I really knew I wanted to take a break. I didn't want to go into uh, right into the business side of anything. And I wanted to take a break. So what I ended up doing was going back to a passion that I had when I was a younger kid in my summer days was uh, guiding. Okay. And so I, I actually started guiding uh, right out of college. I was guiding at a place called the sanctuary. Uh, it's a extremely well-known, uh, it was a high fence ranch that uh, at that time was one of the number one ranches in the world. And there I learned so much about whitetail. If you want to learn about whitetail, you live with, you know, 900 of them. And so I just studied them when I was there. And I actually got a break in the fact that uh, a television show came in and uh, they they asked me to guide the television show. So I did. Mm -hmm. and we had a blast. And the gentleman that was doing it said, hey, have you ever thought about being in front of the camera? I was like, no, absolutely mm -hmm. not. Like, I just want to be behind the camera and do this. Well, he called me one day, uh, fast forward about nine, 10 months. He called me and said, look, there's an unguided hunt in Adak Island, Alaska that I have. And I don't, I don't know what to do. And I know that being a guide and what you've done in your back, your background and being out there, you know what to do. Would you go on the hunt? And I was like, so wait, you're telling me there's a free hunt in Alaska and I just have to go film it. And they're like, yeah. So immediately I said, yes. And, but I called my brother. Mm -hmm. And I asked Casey, he was actually in Saskatchewan playing hockey at the time. And he said, yeah, I'll go. So it ended up where I called him and the two of us went to Alaska. They sent us cameras. We really didn't know what we were doing other than just like self-documenting. We didn't know what B-roll meant or, you know, what a story was. We were just self-documenting at the time. So we went to ADAC. We hitched a ride on a Bering Sea crab boat. We went out on ADAC for 11 days. And it was like, we we're sitting on this rock. I'll never forget it looking at the Bering Sea, which have just calmed down finally. And uh, we both looked at each other and we're like, we could do this. Like, this is something that I think we should be able to do and make a run at. And that was the decision right there. And from there, it was a long grind. You know, everyone says, we well, just go to the SHOT Show and you get sponsors. Mm -hmm. It was like, whoa, that's not exactly how that works. But we started to do the things that we love, building the brands, understanding what this is. And it started to grow from there. But that's, that's how I was introed into it was I spent – uh, nine years guiding total before I actually got into the television side of the business. Okay. And it was just a lucky break that kind of got yeah. you in there. Yeah, it was a lucky break. It was networking, you know, through that time period and just, you know, making relationships with a television show. And I actually, what I wanted to do was film. Uh -huh. I love, yeah, I love film. And I, I actually graduated in graphic arts and, and, and media and I wanted to film. And at that time, cameras were not what they are i mean again i'm going to date myself but these are tapes that we were using to go out and you know we were not shooting on any hd uh and so but i love that part of it i love the editing and so i wanted to be a cameraman for a television show and i was networking to do that and at the same time i ended up becoming in front of the camera so it was a lucky break and um and then we just kind of took off from there and i think at that time the brother thing uh between us is what really kind of propelled us uh before before dropped so as as you started to get in there and, and okay, so you've got what was your first TV show? Backcountry Quest. Back that Country was Quest. the yeah, OBCQ. That was fun. And how <laughs> and how long did you have that before dropped came? We did uh, four seasons of Backcountry Quest, and then we thought of the dropped, and then from there everything changed. Everything changed. So, and I, you know, I got to bring Jay, I got to bring Jason Brown in here. At what point, Absolutely. What, at what point did Jason join in? So we were two seasons into Backcountry Quest and Casey and I were looking for a local editor. At the time, our guy was in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And so we were watching outdoor mm -hmm. television. We saw this show that was on and it, at the end of it, it said Jack Pine Productions. And it had a uh, same area code in case he was like, Hey, there's the Jack Pine productions. And then there's that area code. And he called it and it was Jason Brown that answered. Mm -hmm. And uh, J Jason Brown then showed up at the time we had a ranch that we were managing and he showed up at that ranch. And it was like, when he got out of the car, it felt like he was like a third brother. It was like, we met and he knew who we were. And he said to us, I'll never forget this either. He said, you guys do what you do in front of the camera and let me take care of the rest. And he ended up being the one that really brought the style 
and the and and kind of the creativity to the camera and to the lens and we partnered up right then and there and 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 that so then we did two seasons of backcountry quest and it started to gain notoriety and then the three of us were there together when we uh when we created dropped all right so now we now we're in for anybody that doesn't doesn't haven't heard of jason brown um, I may be biased. I mean, hands down, one of the best editors, producers that there is in the in the hunting industry. Actually, hopefully, to get him on the podcast and just talk about all his experience later on too. But okay, so now we got you got you three. We got the the three that everybody really thinks of when it comes to dropped. Let's go over how did the idea of dropped become what it is today. Hey everyone, just wanted to drop in and remind you of some important tag deadlines we have coming up. The state of New Mexico has their all species on March 22nd, and Wyoming has their bison on March 31st. Make sure to give the team at WTA a call and get applied. Yeah, it was interesting, and you know, to 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 add to the Jason thing, I think it, that when you when you put together a team and the, everyone kind of has their specific thing, uh, Jason was really the conduit that took to the next level. Like he's been he's been tasked with so many amazing projects and seasons things that have come to light. I mean, at one point, I think there was 12 outdoor channel shows being done through the studio, but, but through Jason and his creativity. So we were trying to figure out what had not been done in outdoor, what had not been done. And at that point, you're, you're, you've got the rise of yeah. Bone Collector and Michael and Realtree Road Trips and Tiffany and Lee. And, and it was like, it was an incredible time. And it was a new wave of kind of outdoor television and so we were trying to figure out how do we up our game at Backcountry Quest. And somehow we got a bottle of whiskey and there's a gentleman, his name is Brandon Calhoun. He ended up doing all of the original music for, for Dropped and people know him for all the music he's done there and, and his successful music career. But uh, he was in visiting with Jason and they came to the studio one day and sat down and he was playing some music. And we were drinking a little whiskey and we were talking about what could be the next phase of this. It started out as a 10 day kind of, we're going to document every single day to then it went to 20 days and it'll be an, a, a special for backcountry quest right. to, by the time we finished the whiskey, we were going 30 days with mm -hmm. no food and it was, uh, we didn't have a name for it. Uh -huh. And, but we, but this is what we were going to do. And, and I think the difference is uh, so many people have hunted Alaska. We didn't want to do that injustice. Like people go out there, you've done it as well. Oh, many, yeah. many days out in the back country. What we want to do with dropped is just tell that story instead of an episode. Right. And, and what hadn't been done at that point was an arc series where you have to watch every week to see what happens versus I just watch my episode. Yep. And then next week, if I miss it. And that was one thing that the network had never done before. Uh, and I can remember uh, we, we went to the shot show and we had a meeting with the, with the network and we gave him our idea and there's a gentleman there. He said, okay, hold on. I've got to go get my, my head, my, my boss. And he went over and he came back and he said, Hey, wait real quick. So basically you guys are going to get dropped in Alaska with no food and you're going to live off the land for 30 days. And that's the premise. And I said, yeah. And so he walks away and literally the three of us looked at each other and we said, it's called dropped. That's what mm -hmm. it's called. That's a great, that's a great name. And so he comes back and he tell we tell the executive and he said, so what's it called? And we said, Oh, it's called dropped. And he goes, Oh, that's great. And so <laughs> it was about uh, nine years later that I said to that guy, you know, you named that show uh, out of just, uh, you know, happenstance. And so, and from there, that was the first one that they ever as a network actually commissioned and said, you know, we're going to change the business model a little bit here and we're going to, we're going to work with you guys. And, and, and it turned out to be what it is today. That's awesome. So yeah. what, if you, looking back, we're going to get into you, you, you guys just dropped another, uh, dropped another season of dropped here within the last couple of weeks. So we're going to get into that one. But before we talk anything on the new season, looking back, what was your favorite season so far? You know, we've done some, we've been, we've done some incredible things along the way, um, incredible locations, but there, nothing will be as, um, as insane as season one to me. Uh -huh. Um, and I think, uh, you know, when that plane flew away for the first time, we said we could do it. We got people to buy in that we could do it. We had partners that bought in to say, yeah, we believe you can do it. But when that plane flew away, it was like, 
oh, we have to do this. We're in and now. We're here by, yeah, we're by, we're alone. And, and, and really no one's like snuck in a Snickers or anything. Like we're really <laughs> here by ourselves and we're doing it. And so, you know, I think those bright eyes and, and at that point of like, this is all new, it, it, there's just nothing like that feeling. And like, we didn't know what was coming ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had no idea. You know, we, we, we did 127 miles on a river and every bend was brand new. And so, but then as the seasons went on, you know, you get comfortable. It's like anything you do it enough, you understand like, well, I know what's coming up and I know what we have to do. And now, and, and it, and it started to get into a, a kind of a little bit of a, a reality show, which is not really what we set out to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's what the hiatus was about for so long. We did a two year hiatus is like, you kind of, it became a job. Uh, it became work. And the minute that happened, you kind of start to lose the love for it. And sometimes you got to step away in order to get that love back. And I think that's what we did. And, and, and we're able to do another one, by the way, on that exact same river that we did 12 years ago. And it was, it was pretty awesome. So that's awesome. So let's, uh, let's dive in. So let's, let's, yeah. and as much as you can talk about the season that's airing right now, knowing that the, the last episodes haven't aired. So Yep. So let's go. Let's go. What was this this past season like? Like, what were the highs, the lows? What What were you expecting that that happened? What were you not expecting that happened? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Well, the anticipation was super high. I mean, when Casey called me and he said, hey, it's time. It's time to do another drop. And I was like, you know what? I've been waiting for you to call me about this. Like, I've been waiting for this. And it's time. I think we're both ready um and so he said what about going back to where it all started he's mm-hmm. like it's been 10 year anniversary um of the show 10 seasons 12 years uh he said you know i think it's something we should th- consider and i was like i'm done i'm in i didn't even i didn't even that was it i was like i'm in so we did things a little bit different this year and the fact that we all like going back to our knowledge and saying well 10 years ago or 12 years ago i'm sorry um, we always wanted to be higher than where we got dropped the first time uh-huh. because we saw all the animals. We said, well, this year, if the water level is good, we're going to do that. And so we were able to do that. And what a difference it made is incredible. I mean, thinking back, it was like, we were hiking, you know, one to two miles a day in that original season and chasing caribou where had we been where we were, which was just about two miles up the, up the, up the river, uh-huh. they were walking through camp on a daily basis, you know? And so it was, it was incredible to hit the ground again, be back on that gravel and then just look around and the familiarity of like, Oh, my, nothing's changed. Yeah. We've changed, you know, I'm 12 years older than I was when I started. And, and this entire place looks identical to where we were. And so it was just incredible to get back on the gravel. And then we just happened to be in the hot spot, man. It was just one of those areas where the funnels and, you know, things that we didn't know first season, we understood. And I mean, we just, we saw every animal Alaska had to offer literally, I think every animal, including muskox, which weren't even supposed to be in that area, but they were. And so um, it was just a, uh, for nature for this season, um, Number one, uh, I would say out of any season, we've gone 28 days and saw one moose, you know, in Alaska before. And for this to have the amount of animals that we had involved in this one was just, uh, was something else. It was, it was really special. That's awesome. So yeah, it was really cool. Looking, looking back on, on drop, not season wise, what was, what was one of the hardest moments you had on it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would have to probably chalk that up to the Yukon, uh, Casey sheep, uh, you know, having hunted as many oh, sheep yeah. as you've hunted, you know what it takes to get a sheep. And, uh, I, I didn't pull the trigger, but I have one of the most memorable hunts of my life was the sheep, you know, 7,000 feet chasing them across the rocks, 
they go over the mountain. Well, that's like, you know, they just go up and over the top and now that's a day, right. Or you got to spend the night on the mountain and it's like to get to them. So I think pursuing that sheep and uh, it was a beautiful doll sheep that he shot. Um, and that was it. Like, I didn't, I guess there was no need for me to shoot one. I don't know. It was weird. It was like, I did it with him. We took an amazing doll and I felt satisfied. Like I'm good. You know, like I, I experienced this for what it was, but there was, there's times on the mountain where <laughs> I'll never forget the quote Jason said to me one time, he goes, I hate heights and I hate exercise. <laughs> he said, so I don't, he goes, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I, I just laughed at him and it was like, he, he, he was, there's a couple of moments up there. And, and again, you know what it's like, man, oh, yeah. storms blow in, they change on a dime. And it was like, are we really going to die up here or should we like make our way down to the bottom? So I would say that that was a that was probably one of the hardest things we've ever had to do is is that sheep hunt, especially when you're on no calories either. I was like, oh, and yeah. I couldn't wait to get that. And then you eat that sheep, and it's just delicious. I mean, I was thinking like it was going to be like lamb. It's not even close. Like it's a, a unbelievable meat. So so that was that was a pretty rewarding hunt for us. No, that's that's awesome. So yeah. okay, so what is it like when you guys get back to civilization after dropped? Uh, you know, it's. I try to explain people like when you, first of all, when you're out in fresh air for, you know, 28 days, 30 days, 18 days, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, you kind of, all the senses are pretty high, right? Your sense of smell, like you smell a campfire. Um, you can smell feet for oh, sure yeah. in the tent, oh, yeah. like, you know, like it's like, Ooh, things are. So when you hit pavement for the first time, like you step off the plane and you land on the runway, it's weird, right? It's like, you're like, Whoa, this is like, it's steady. That's interesting. And then the smells like immediately we have to go get a rental car always. And like, you know, so you're, you're dressed in the stuff you stink because you haven't showered in 30 days. You walk into a rental place, you know, gun on your hip and they're looking at you like, Whoa. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as soon as you walk in like perfume and food smells and like all these things, you're like, Whoa, you haven't done anything except smell fresh air for and fire, you know? And so the, the senses are heightened uh, and it takes a little bit of time to kind of come back to that, especially with, eating only what we kind of catch and kill and things of that nature, you know, stomach, you're, you're like, you smell McDonald's and you're like, I, I'm going to crush this. Yeah. But you get two bites in and you, and you, you end up, you know, puking in yep. the parking lot because you know, your stomach's not ready for it. So it, it's definitely an adjustment period. Um, but the senses I would say are just out of control when you get out, when you first land. And I probably, I asked these questions backwards. I should have asked this one first. What's the, what's your prep and mindset before you go get dropped for a month? Like that week, yeah. that two weeks before, 10, 10 days before the, the taking off from home, the flight up to Alaska, that last night in civilization before you go. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great question. And, and we get asked this, like, what do you do prior and prepped? And so, uh, you know, over the years, we've learned to adapt. Each guy does something differently. You know, I, I, I tend to do, a, I, I work out every day, do a lot of fitness. That was sparked by the first drop. I was a I was a bigger dude at the time, a little thick at the time. And uh, when I hit drop the first, yeah, I was a bigger dude, a little thick. Uh, And so, you know, I had dropped like 30 some pounds on that first drop. And so um, I kind of, from that point forward, kind of started doing the fitness thing. But I would say, you know, it's not a necessity because it's such a mental thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think it's probably 80% mental, 20% physical um, going in there, but you know, for me, I try to, you know, diet, right. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I try to do is from a diet perspective is just, I try to cut out sugar, you know, about yeah. a month ahead because you can't find sugar out there other than maybe a blueberry or something and your body will start to purge and it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Trust me. It's not fun running, uh, you know, running the, into the gravel about every 10 minutes in the beginning. So uh, after about seven days, so I try to just kind of no sugar diet if I know I'm going in there and then mentally it is just getting ready. Like you're walking through in your head, the scenarios that could happen. Do we have the right safety checks? Does that all the batteries good? You know, you're going through your gear prep and it's just an anxiety thing, man. And like it's the, the pressure's high. It's like Christmas morning. Like mm-hmm. you can't, you want to go to bed as a kid, but you, you know, you're like, I'm going to stay up all night. And eventually you just like pass out of exhaustion. And the next thing you know, you're on a plane and you're going but I will say this, it's never very, uh, it's not loud on the plane. It's not excitement. It's uh, solemn. It's very like everyone is just focused. Uh, camera guys, uh, Casey, myself, we're all just dialed in at the mission at hand. And once that plane takes off, 
the work begins and mm-hmm. you just, you don't really, you don't really think about it. It's just like, everybody has their job. They know what to do and we do it. And that comes with, you know, trusting each other over this many years. No, oh, that's great. So along, along the, the, the ride of when you guys did dropped, you also had another TV show called rival wild. At what, oh, po- yeah. at what point did rival start with drop? Like what was, what was the crossover there? Yeah, it was interesting because, you know, we backcountry quest was very backcountry driven mm-hmm. at the time. And so we didn't want to have like two backcountry shows, if you will. Um, and we had this passion for whitetail and, and, so we kind of sat down and said, well, let's bring this same kind of story of a season of whitetail to the, to the television. Let's film the whole season, uh, the way that we would film dropped and, uh, show all the ins and outs and not just the hunts. And so we ended up, we got a piece of property down in Illinois and we showed everything from the day we got the property to the end of season. And we started to film it all, the camp and how it all came together and the big deer that were on the property, the scouting. And and that was really what Rival Wild was about is just like a whole season on one piece of property versus kind of trying to, you know, go from state to state to state. Mm-hmm. And it was a big enough piece of property that we could do it. We made sure that it was a multi-deer state like Illinois uh, and that we could, you know, do gun and bow. And we really just spent a whole season down there and we had a couple of guys join us uh, over over that time period, guests that came on. And um, and it became like what we did after we got done with drop. So we did 30 days of drop and then we did, you know, 90 days of rival wild. And, you know, we were gone four or five months out of the year to film essentially 26 episodes a year on, you know, what what is what was dropped in rival wild. So it was it was a big commitment. And we did that for about five seasons and it just started to get to the point where I was like, I do need to see my family at some point in this, in this time period. So yeah. it started to slow down a little bit, but it was, uh, it was so much fun. Rival Wild is one of my favorite things we've ever done. So on, on Rival, what's your favorite hunt that you were part of during Rival? Mm, I hunted a deer um, called Lone Star um, that we had in Illinois for a very, very long time. And uh, there was two of them at the time. One was called Lone Star and one was called Tiny. Uh, they're both in the, uh, like 160 and 155. So great white tail, mm-hmm. mature bucks. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to kill Lone Star in archery season. And I actually had a, a friend of mine from Realtree, David Blanton. He came in and David's obviously, you know, one of the top hunters in the world. Oh, yeah. He came in and him and I were walking and he said, you know, have you ever thought about putting a stand down in here? And I said, no. And he said, well, let's, let's go down there and take a look. So we did. And we went down and we, He's like, let's hang one right there. I'm like, okay. So we put up a stand. We called it Blanton's bench. Well, the first night he sat there, he killed. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, well, that made that really easy. You know, I'm like, he, this guy really knows what he's talking about. Uh-huh. So he he kills this buck and he leaves. Now, I had, I've been hunting Lone Star for about, I don't know, three months at the time. Okay. And uh, uh, I sat in the stand the second night in Blanton's bench. And Lone Star walked by. And by the way, he was not even supposed to be on that piece of property. I was just going there to burn a hunt because the wind. And he walked by that stand and I shot him. And it, so it was just like, oh, wow, that all came together. David Blanton killed and then I killed uh, directly after each other. Uh, and then both of those hunts went on to go to Monster Bucks at the time, the DVDs. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, it was crazy, like uh, how it all happened. And, and uh, so I, I always remember, you know, Lone Star. He's always one of my favorites uh, over the years just because I chased him. It was a cat and mouse game for so long. And, and then when it was least expected, you know, probably a mile and a half from where he was supposed to be, he walked right by the stand uh, and uh, it took one through the heart. So it was, it was, it was cool hunt. Oh, that's awesome. So what's yeah. your, what's been, what was your biggest deer you ever filmed on Rival? Uh, I shot a, my biggest deer is 171. Um, Casey has got me on that one. He's got, uh, he broke 200. He has, uh, two in the one nineties and one in the one eighties. So he has got me on that one. I, on the other hand, have, uh, from a pure numbers perspective, I have a hard time passing 150 inch A point. Oh, I just do. And I, and I'll give it to Casey. He's got the patience of a saint. I mean, he waits for that one and, I just, uh, I don't have those patients. So they, they, we always joke, I've got a table. I've, I probably have 20, 150 to 158 
inch whitetail, um, but I don't have anything over 171. So I shot a drop time buck in Iowa that was 171. That's the biggest one I killed on Rival Wild. And uh, I spot and stalked him and then put a tree stand in a cedar tree while he was laying down and then rattled and he ran to the tree and I shot him. It was oh, a crazy no way. hunt. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was a crazy hunt. It was so much fun. So yeah, totally different tactic on that one. But uh um that was really cool. And then there's one memorable one where it was a totally different tactic as well. There was a, an in Iowa. Um <laughs> deer were coming out in this cornfield and there's not a tree anywhere to put a tree stand. So I actually in muzzle loader season went out in a layout blind for geese. Uh-huh. and i put it in the field at one o'clock in the afternoon and i went to sleep and i set my alarm for three thirty. and now the deer came right out and walked and they were all walking around me i was in a layout blind um it was really kind of fun and cool and i haven't done it since i don't know why but i i just thought it was one of those cool and i ended up shooting a muzzle loader i killed a, a 150 inch a point again uh it seems to be my forte um but it was it was pretty cool it was uh like out of a layout blind on on a, on a bipod oh that's awesome um, so that was yeah so that was totally different tactic but it, it worked and i i didn't really think it would i was actually like well we'll give this a whirl and sure enough it did so uh so that was kind of fun Hey guys, are you into keeping your whitetail herd healthy and strong? Go check out Buck Bourbon and their full line of mineral and attractants. Personally, my favorite is 110 proof because I've had some great memories and great deer taken over top of it in the state of Kentucky. Born from bourbon, field tested, wildlife approved. Check them out at buckbourbon.com. Hey everybody, I've been partnered and working with Bass Pro and Cabela's now for a long time. They're your one-stop shop for anything outdoors. Personally, I use them for all my camping and backpack needs for all my backcountry trips. Make sure to check them out at BassPro.com or Cabela's.com. Leopold offers the best optics in the game, bar none. I personally have their Santium binos and never go to the field without their Pro Guide spotting scope. I've got a Mark V on all my rifles, and also don't forget they've got some awesome eyewear as well. For more information, visit Leopold.com. That's awesome. So, yeah. ton of experience in in the hunting realm, production wise. Let's let's talk on your your latest venture that you're up to your elbows in right now. Be alive. Explain yeah. explain what be alive is. I know there are people out there that have that have heard it. Some fully understand it, but just dive into it. What is it? Yeah, you know, be alive has has been a mantra of ours for so long, and um, you know, there's. There was a time period back in 2007, I was hit by a truck, uh, and as you know, and there, there was a lot of stuff I went through at that time period, and it was like, uh, obviously I lived, I'm here, but I think um, it, was, it was a rough time period, and then this mantra became, you have to be alive, you have to live for the moments that matter, you know, and I think um, that, was, that was a big mantra. Well, we didn't really know what to do, I, we just said that all the time, and eventually, um, you know, all of us got together, yourself included, and said we should we should really do something with this with this name. And so over the years, it's really kind of was a startup company that decided to kind of go one direction, and we've really changed it around. But right now, um, you know, our 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 website, Go Be Alive, it's all about getting people off the couch and embracing the moments that matter outside. Um, and we don't really do anything other than just tell great stories of that mm-hmm. lifestyle and. You know, we sell hats and T-shirts and it's about kind of being part of the movement. Like, you know, people have been really crammed up with the pandemic and, you know, stuck and and just it's time to get outside and be alive again. And that's really what our message is. And, you know, we don't make technical clothing. We don't make, you know, anything that's going to get you on top of Mount Everest. But Mm -hmm. hopefully that if you're out there and you're living your moment that makes you be alive, that you just kind of say, hey, I want to support this brand and what it's doing and what its message is. And so for us, it was about just building a community of all these like-minded outdoorsmen that love to be outside. And everybody has a be alive moment, whether it's, you know, a moose at seven feet or it's, you know, watching the sunset. That could be a be alive moment for you. And so we just, we're trying to kind of instill that inspiration and positivity to get outside and do the things you love, get off the couch and just embrace it and, and be alive became that. And it's been, uh, it's been an incredible journey uh, with be alive. And there's a lot of uh, things that are happening right now that we're super excited to, to be kind of bringing to the public. And, you know, we just kind of got out there about three or four months ago and now we're off to the races and it's been, it's been quite the venture. That's awesome. So what, what, yeah. um, 
what can you can you lead into any of the projects that you've got coming down the pipeline and where people may be able to find them yeah yeah we're we're working on uh last year we did a thing called recess um where we did i think 10 people went up to the kenai and we fished for you know five or six days we uh you know we did kind of a a a brewery hour on be alive and we worked with all the local guides you know having started in the guide industry i've got a lot of passion for other guides that are out there grinding and so we met with them and and we're we're looking at kind of opening up another recess this year to the public and and uh having you know again like-minded people come with us and say i want to join you on recess let's just go have fun and we document everything and just building that community so we've got that we've got a new spring launch coming out of all new apparel uh, coming out in May, I believe at this point. And, uh, so I just got to look at all the samples of what that looks like and got some really cool hats, t-shirts, hoodies, and, and, uh, you know, we're going to just continue to push out great content. Um, we have a real passion for, uh, rivers, uh, you know, and we do a lot of, a lot of things with a brand called rivers or life. I think that's an amazing, uh, concept about protecting the places we play. So I think it's a little bit of mixture of inspiration and protection. Um, and you know, we keep, keep doing it it's gonna be awesome it is and i mean it, just in our talks like explain on the rivers part just like give some of the highlights of of what rivers really affect the world that we live in today like i've heard you a couple of times talk about all the research you guys are doing and the projects around it but like some of the facts just on on the rivers and, and the water that are around the world that affect us every day that i don't think people really realize yeah, it, it, it's, it's incredible. I think rivers are one of our like most, you know, prized possession, especially in freshwater. And, you know, there's this kind of, there's this kind of uh, myth out there that they're just unlimited, you know, it's like, well, the water just runs and that's the end of it. And they're not. And, and, you know, they allow us to do the things, you know, whether I'm in Alaska and I'm rowing and doing a float drag, or I'm just, you know, out kayaking with my daughter you know, there's so many things that happen on rivers and they just need to be protected. And I think that's a big part of what we do with Rivers Our Life um, is look at how we can protect those rivers. I think they're, um, you know, they really are the lifeblood of the planet. And we basically at Be Alive, we support efforts, um, you know, of all sizes, basically to bolster the future of our world's waterways. That's what we do in sustainable ways. So we work with a lot of individual companies, big corporations. Um, we did a, a, a lot of films that we put out on the Rivers Our Life website. We work with them to do. We just did one. It's a really incredible story called um, Keepers of the North, right. where we worked with uh, Dow, Dow Chemical Company. We worked with FedEx and the CRDC, Pixera and other brands. And it was in Alaska and we did a cleanup effort on a beach where we pulled off, uh, you know, about 10 tons of trash and uh, out of the out of Bristol Bay. And basically from there, we uh, took that with FedEx to a facility where they recycled that plastic coming out of the oceans and out of the rivers of Alaska and turned it into building materials of which now we'll go back to Alaska um, to start its own infrastructure and recycling center up there. So we at be alive are kind of help facilitating that entire partnership and that program of how that works. And it's, it's pretty exciting that, uh, you know, to see that come together, that the first ever recycling facility of this nature will be put in Alaska because of the efforts of a lot of amazing companies and, and the stories that we're telling. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. it really is. It's a lot of fun. And I get to tell really cool stories about individuals our river heroes, you know, the river heroes out there, there's people out there every day doing awesome things. And, you know, it goes back to the be alive mantra. It's just like, let's tell their story. You know, I don't think there's enough positivity. It takes one negative story in the world. And then the media today, as you know, it just like consumes everybody. And for us, it's about telling that story of positivity, man. And and it's spot on when, when you said earlier about that, it is time not necessarily get outside, but just live your life. Like everybody just got through with the pandemic and, and, two and a half years of hell basically to where yep. to where i think it made a lot of people at least i we can tell at wta and the outfitters that we have to where people are just like you know what i can't i, I can't look at it like it's guaranteed like i did in the past like i can't yep. look at it and say i'm gonna do that five years or eight years or ten years from now it was one of those things that that truly like i there are a lot of people never realized they'd be locked down in their house for a year like that wasn't even yeah. a, even a thought or an option so where it's where i think people have realized I'm gonna go and live today right yep. I'm gonna go live my yeah. best life today 
I'm planning for the future, but I'm not going to push things off till tomorrow that I can do today. I know I have, like my, my family and I have, we do, we do that all the time now, right? Like we used to talk about doing things. Okay, we'll do that next year or the year after or when, when the kids graduate or whatever. And now it's just like, no, if we have the time and we can do it, let's just go do it, right? And it's been great. Oh, I think absolutely i think you know if i was to write a letter to my younger self i would i would be telling my younger self you know i was i was head down and growing business and you know i was i would leave a wake in my path you know it was like whether it be relationships yep. or i was like i'm i have a goal and i'm going to go achieve it and as i get older into this and i understand it better and 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 learn from those things i think everything up until now has been practice and i look at that and say the one thing that will never ever get back no matter what is time and so when, with, when, when that really sets into someone and you go, I'm never going to get time back. So what am I doing with the time that I have? Uh, and all of those individuals that, that email me and say, Hey, I, I someday I want to climb this, or someday I want to go on an elk hunt or someday I want to go do the, you know, a waterfowl yep. in Saskatchewan. Yep. It's like, then, then go do it yep. right now. Like someday may never arrive. Um, you know, and so you really have to think that way. And, and then I, you know, I get a lot of people that say, well, I don't have time to do that. And I, and I always tell them, no, I think if you took that sentence and flipped it around, you're not making it a priority. Exactly. Because if it's a priority, you will find the time, you know, and I think that's a, that's a big part of how I live my life and my family. It's like, if we want to do something, we make it a priority. You put it in the schedule, you do it. And we've seen, you know, my family's gotten closer uh, over over the pandemic and even after that, but we're also spending incredible amounts of time together outside yep. and doing cool stuff, you know. And and it, it's been healthy. Uh, and I th- I hope people start to do that with all the negativity in the world today. It's like, man, make things a priority. Get out there, find something that makes you alive, and go do it. Yep. Just go do it. You know. No, that's great. Great words to do. I mean, over the listen, I I find myself coaching girls basketball now. Right. Like I, yeah. I, during, yeah. during that whole time period, it was one of those things. Like I was on the road traveling like crazy and, and being home, I looked and I said, where did my kids go? Oh right? yeah. They grew, they had exactly. grown like crazy. And I'd been so yeah. busy trying to grow, grow business and, and be successful in life and, and all that. And I was still home, but you never get a chance to really sit there for, I mean, a month or a couple months and be like, Holy smokes, they're not kids anymore. Right. Like they're not, they're turning into young adults. So that was where I just made the decision of like, Okay, I love basketball. I'm good at it. My youngest loves basketball. She's good at it. Let's 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 put this in, and I'm gonna spend as much time with her. And this is the way that I can do it, right? Finding something that she loves, and I just I, I can make that that sacrifice of being there whenever she needs me to be there for that. Yeah, I think that's you know, and I've seen you over the years, and you're such a driven business guy, and and all the things you've done. Heck, there's been meetings I think you and I've had when you're like in Mongolia oh, yeah. somewhere, oh, yeah. and I'm and I'm like, you know, we're talking to each other via sat phone, and and I've seen that and that transition for you, and it's amazing to see because you know you're balancing, but you know you can definitely tell you've made it a priority in your life to do that, mm-hmm. and 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 you just change, you know, it's not a matter of like, well, I don't, I still don't have time to do that. It's like, no, it's a priority to me, and and that's happened, and it's amazing as we get older and what that pandemic had done to everybody. And I think the outdoors is an escape, yep. but it doesn't mean that you can't take time to do it with the people that you love. Cause I think those around you that, that you do it with, like that, that's, that's a very important thing. You know, the people that you surround yourself with are going to lead you to those, to those areas. And I think that's important. Yep. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's really fun. It's it really cool, man. Right now it's been uh, it's been a blast. Like I'm having the most fun I've ever had in my life. And, and and not you know spending 110 days in the field yep. away from my family but still spending a lot of time out there doing it so yep, yep. it's, it's that, cool it's that balancing of everything yep, so do you, sure. guys, do you guys have plans for dropped coming up is there another season on the on the realm yeah it's one of those things now where it's like uh you know we, we obviously we've been airing and the the, the first of all i got to thank the fans because the, 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 the comments and everything that are happening and like, they're loving everything. And I'm, I'm very appreciative of all that. Um, and I think we do want to do another one. Um, you know, we're always thinking about different things and where to go, but right now what we're trying to do is trying to keep the integrity of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, we don't, we don't want it to be a game show. We don't want it to be a race. We don't want it to be anything. We want to keep the integrity of, 
you know, this year was really about two brothers going out to Alaska and telling our story. That's it. It's not necessarily about the hunting. It's not, it's about just go out and tell the story, but there's certain things to do a drop that we have to have, you know, you have to have the ability to hunt for our own food. You have to have the ability to travel. You know, a lot of people have to realize like we have, we do have two camera guys with us and they have yeah. gear. And so if we're not going to hike anywhere, you know, we tried that once. It was a disaster <laughs> in the, we did 80 miles in the Yukon and, and the camera guys had horses and it was, a, and you had to feed them every night. And it was very, very difficult for mm-hmm. us to do. Um, so there's certain elements that make a drop that you can only do it so many places in the world, which is why we've done Alaska so many times. But, um, you know, right now we're looking at different things and, um, you know, obviously working with the network and, they're loving what they're seeing. And so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of continue to do that and, and see where it goes. But the plan is for us to absolutely do another one um, and, and see where it ends up. But I don't know, I'm trying to get Casey to think about a warm weather location right now. Um, I, I, you know, it, this, this Arctic cold and typhoons coming in and all the <laughs> other things that we have to deal with. <laughs> I am getting older, as I mentioned. So, you know, it's a little, little harder to get up in the morning in the tent when she's 16 below zero, but uh, I would like to do a warm weather one. I think it would be kind of interesting. And I know that, um, and you you know this as well, and, and is Hawaii is actually really cool. Oh, yeah. Hawaii has a lot of Absolutely. amazing things going on. And and so, you know, people say Hawaii, and it's like, but there's a backcountry to Hawaii that uh, I, I don't know that the story's ever been told like that before in that, in that area. Everyone just kind of thinks about Mai Tais and surfing. Yep. But there is a pretty amazing part of Hawaii that I would not mind really looking into and seeing, you know, and then they've got the right rules and rags. Plus, there's no predators. Yep. So let's be honest, I'll, I'll sleep like a baby, yep. uh, which would be nice. Yep. So. No, Molokai, Lanai, the Big Island. There's, I mean, there's a ton of ton of spots there that would make a lot of sense for it and that would be awesome yeah. right like it's different like that's the, that's the cool part and it's never been told there that hawaiian story's never been told and it would kind of flip for you guys right like wa- water never been a real issue for you guys when you're in alaska because you got the rivers everywhere right like I, correct I, I don't and now go... now salt water and all the other stuff yep. i mean it would bring a whole new element to what it is but it would also open a whole new element of game uh and so it's definitely one that's at the top of the list and trying to find the right, uh, you know, cause it's not like we go with outfitters. Yeah. I mean, th- that's the thing about Alaska is you can go self-guided. So trying to find the right connections and the right people to say, okay, I'm going to put you in right here and then we'll come back in 28 days and, and you should be hopefully right here. Yeah. Uh, and, and looking at how that's going to happen. So a lot of logistical things that go into planning dropped and we're already on it right now for, for what that looks like but uh yeah it, it would open up a whole new element for us and i think you, you hit on a really good really good point there for anyone that's listening like when when the guys have come to planning out drops right there it's not just man that's a great location i mean what are the yeah. regulations so like all across canada like you can't just get dropped off anywhere like you get most no. of the, most of the provinces you need a guide to big game hunt so it's like okay yep. well that takes dropped out um yep. and then you start looking at other places in the world what are their seasons what can you do um, and it just, it, all of a sudden it just starts narrowing it down of where you can actually go and do this in today's world still. Yeah. That's a big part of why, you know, we haven't, even in the lower 48, there's certain, so many rules and regs and seasons and people and, you know, what you can do. And so, and then, you know, you find a great place and you say, oh, we can go here in Montana. And then you go, well, how do we travel or yep. how do we how do we move? Well, you don't have a river or you don't have horses. And then it becomes, well, do we pack this, all this stuff? That's, that would be incredible. Yeah. And so there's so many logistical questions that go into finding the right spot. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been the blessing and the curse of dropped is, you know, the unguided in an area that's never been touched at the same time the, there comes a lot of th- questions around places like that because they haven't been touched, you yep. know? So yep. yeah, it's hard. Exactly. Well, awesome. Thanks for your time today, buddy. I know you're busy and running around, and this is always great to catch up and, and hit on the subjects. And uh, anybody that's listening, any questions, you guys got to check out Chris's social media. We'll have it posted on all of our links. You can message him direct on, on any of that stuff. I know, he, as he said, he's uh, interacting with everybody all the time. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, Mark. It's always good to catch up with you and talk hunting, as we always do. So uh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, have a great one. All right, man. Thank you everyone out there for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. 
Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.